want to be I don't want to be fear mongering because the first century church had to deal with a Roman government and there was much pressure that was on that first century church and yet it flourished and it blossomed and yet if you believe the word of the Lord then we know that everything that we've been taught has been moving us toward this point and so as one uh prophecy teacher that I listen to on a fair amount. Uh, he he continues to ask this question every week, and I'll listen to his podcast, and uh, his question is this, is what did you expect the end times to look like? And so what we have to do, and I'm going to talk about tonight about some things that I feel like is going to be very important for us, and uh, I did email these notes to you. I did not print them out because I was gonna, thought I was going to go broke printing them all, uh, but anyways, you do have a healthy uh, bunch of notes in your email box, so if you want to follow along uh, with this here here tonight, but uh, I last Sunday, Wednesday night, uh, kind of opened up introductory lesson into the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, it was just a, it was, it was, I might say, and it doesn't have anything to do with me teaching it, it was a fantastic lesson, it, it was just you just the spirit of the Lord, and I want to inspire you here tonight. And um, I uh, again, I mentioned a book that I had to read when I was in Bible college, Brother Keating's class. It was written by George Shaw, and uh, he was a missionary uh, for a number of years in India. He passed away in 1988, and uh, he has two sons that are still involved uh, in missionary work. And so today, while I was working uh, on some more of this, I contacted Brother Abernathy and, um, and just inquired as to Brother Lyndon Shom and Brother Alan Shom. Brother Alan Shom is in Pakistan, and Brother Lyndon Shom is the regional coordinator for the Asia region. And uh, just so happened that Brother Lyndon Shom was there with Brother Abernathy in some board meetings. And uh, so, uh, Brother, the elder, Shom, in, in his book, and again, it's out of print. Uh, maybe you can try to put it on your wish list on Amazon, and maybe someone will pop up. But it's a very, very inspiring book. And it talks about some of the parts where that whenever they were in India, uh, just the, the poverty that they had to work through, and uh, most of these people did not have very much money. They worked for like 20 cents, 30 cents a day. Uh, but Brother Shaw talked about how uh, these people were just so committed to paying their tithes and uh, even giving sacrificially. And the way that they would tithe was rice and pineapples or big commerce uh, things there in India. And so they would pay their tithes through rice and through pineapples, and then, of course, the church would, you know, extend it out and so forth. But he said that whenever they would come to church, he said there was just such a feeling of reverence and awe that was there because of uh, just the desperation that, that a lot of those people lived by, that their next meal literally was going to be supplied by the Lord. And so, so the book uh, that Brother Shaw wrote, a lot of that was some of his observances and teaching about the way that the Spirit of God moved there in uh, the nation of India. They saw some pretty dramatic miracles. Some of that had to do with the fact uh, that there was no medical care. 
And uh, obviously, I spent 25 years working at Flowers Hospital, and uh, I'm for medicine, especially if you got a kidney stone. I, I know some, some things that works uh, to, to help your kidney stone, but just think about it. If you did not have modern medicine, I imagine there would be some pretty desperate prayers uh, that would be offered up. And then, of course, he did make reference to the fact that uh, there were times that the Lord did not heal and that there were people that literally died uh, because of some of their physical calamities. But I, I do believe, and he talked about it, he said that, that, that it is a choice that sometimes that we make not to live in a place of incomplete surrender and there are things that we hold back and that Western society is so influenced sometimes our thinking and, uh, and, and we live in a materialistic world. I, I'm just, I'm very honest with you about that. And that there's times where that we think that there are solutions that we can work out and that we can kind of move through. But, but the Lord's reminder, Matthew 17 and uh, 21, talked about that the power that he has, that some of it cannot come except for but by prayer and by fasting. And I'm just going to continue to irk, to continue to to just uh, try to try to cause you to give yourself to prayer and, and to fasting. Fasting has done uh, some remarkable things here in our church in the last uh, several weeks. I, I would just certainly say that just for myself, that the Lord has has allowed my me to see things uh, that 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 had kind of flown under the radar. And, and yet when you start giving yourself to this matter of prayer uh, and fasting, Jesus was, of course, talking to his disciples about why that they could not uh, cast a demon out. And he said, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and by fasting. And if you make a commitment to prayer and to fasting, there are things that the Lord can bring in uh, to your heart and to your spirit. Now, I do believe, and Brother, Brother Psalm uh, did mention this, uh, that he he talked about the fact about how uh, that that by strong biblical teaching and by by looking at what the Word of God has to say, I know that sometimes when you start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, people are like, "Oh no, we we don't want to get the church all in a place of chaos." However, if the gifts of the Spirit are moving in a church, what it does is it helps that church to live on a much more healthy spiritual plane and I, I do believe that we need uh, to pursue that and so whenever you start looking uh, at the word of the Lord James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 talks about the fact about how that that a man can look in a mirror and he can see his image there and if there are things that blemishes and, and things that need to be taken care of if, if he if he moves away from that mirror and he does not try to change. What does the Bible say? It says he's a very foolish man because what he has done is he's allowed himself to become a hearer of the word but not a doer uh, of the word. And so, so again, we walked through last uh, Wednesday night about the practice and the importance of the gifts of the Spirit. There's more than 150 verses that mention or describe or regulate or portray the practice of these nine spiritual gifts. And I'm speaking to the one specifically in First 
uh, Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And so we read quite a bit of scripture uh, last Wednesday night about that. Now, here's where tonight I want to spend some time. And again, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture. Uh, and we'll just kind of stop and just kind of amble through this. I don't want to get in a big hurry uh, and overrun some of this, but there are more than 60 verses that you find in the New Testament. Most of them are in the book of Acts where that it talks about the illustrations of how that the gifts of the Spirit uh, that whenever they begin to move, that they're accompanied by miracles, signs, and wonders. And again, I'm not one that believes that it's just locked into the first century. I believe that these things are, are for us even uh, here, here today. And so let's look as we just kind of walk through. I want to start in Acts chapter 3. This is a familiar story, uh, I'm certain, to every single one of us. But let's start in Acts chapter 3, and I want to start uh, in verse 1. The Bible uh, says there, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. But Peter, fastening his eyes with, upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Now I want to pair that up with Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What does it say in chapter 4? Look in chapter 4. Let's start in verse 10. Acts 4 and 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's power in the name of Jesus. And you can pray in the name of Jesus. And when you pray in the name of Jesus, there are things that, that it's, it's not you're praying by the authority of his name. And I believe that we ought to do that. We ought to pray in the name of Jesus. Now look in verse 7 of chapter 3. And he took him up by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were, all, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that, which had happened unto them. Now, if you want to pinpoint, I would just say here that you've got two of the gifts that are in operation. Number one, you've got the gift of faith that is in operation, and you've got the gift of healing 
that is in operation right here that we read about this account here in uh, Acts 3. Now turn over and look in Acts chapter 4 and let's look in verse 29. The Bible says there, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness that we may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy, thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. I want to point out a couple of things here. Number one is this, is that again, you've got the gift of faith that's in operation and number two, you've got the gift of healing that is taking place here. I also want to interject this. Uh, nowhere do you see them trying to sell for monetary gain, healing or deliverance. And so you you see sometimes, you hear sometimes uh, some of these charlatans, and I'm going to call them that. They're, they're imposters. Uh, Acts 8, Simon Magus wanted to buy the ability to lay hands on people so that they would receive the Holy Ghost. If they're selling things on uh, networks, don't buy into that because there's nowhere that you see in Scripture that there are things that can be sold so that you're going to get your healing or you're going to get salvation or, or so forth. So save your money and, uh, and don't be caught up uh, with that kind of matter. Now, uh, look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says there, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. I briefly mentioned last Wednesday night, Hebrews chapter 6, where it talks about the doctrine of the laying on of hands. And so whenever you see this here, that in verse 12, Acts 5, 12, and by the hands of the apostles were there many signs and wonders wrought among the people. I believe that there is a doctrine of laying on of hands. And we practice that Sunday morning. And the Spirit of the Lord was here uh, in this sanctuary this past Sunday morning where that we anointed people with oil and we prayed for them. There's a variety of needs here, but the Spirit of the Lord worked and ministered. Now, turn over a page and look at Acts chapter 6 and look in verse 8. This is a man and Stephen, he was not an apostle, he was a deacon. But it says that he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. So we ask ourselves the question, is the gifts of the Spirit merely for what we would say five-fold ministry? No, it's not. The gifts of the Spirit should be in operation in every single believer's life. I remember as a kid, and at the time, no idea that I was ever going to be a preacher, but my mother was sick one night. And uh, and every night, uh, of course, I've talked to you some about me trying to sneak in Hardy Boys books and trying to read while we were supposed to be praying. Uh, but one night we were praying in the den, and, uh, and my mother was not feeling well. And so my dad <laughs> told Mark and I, I said, well, y'all come over here, we're going to lay hands on your mother, and we're going to 
we're going to pray for her that the Lord's going to heal her. I remember the first words out of my mouth. You know how you remember things and you think you wish you'd remember other things? Well, this is one thing that's locked, so locked into my mind, I immediately, and I probably, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. I remember the first thing I said to my dad was, I'm not a preacher. <laughs> and, and I don't remember what his response was, but we laid hands on my mother and we prayed for her that while, while she was sick. And so, so you've got right here where that, uh, that Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So I believe that, that you have the ability to pray for situations and for things in your life and that the Lord can heal. I'm going to venture out into a place, and this is spiritual warfare. And uh, I'm convinced of this, increasingly convinced of this. I'm convinced that there are times where the people are literally physically sick. But it has a spiritual origin that's creating that problem. And I believe that we can pray for people and those oppressive spirits that are causing those physical ailments that the Lord can heal them. And if you've read any book at all about spiritual warfare, that is a common theme that sort of runs through those books and and through those and I and I don't have I don't I don't want to chase that down but because it, it's a big rabbit to chase. Uh, but I do believe that we have the authority to pray for people and for situations and that the Lord can heal. He can put marriages together. He can minister to families because sometimes it's unclean spirits. And we'll read about that here as we progress through. That as you pray that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, that the Lord can move and can work Against that. Now let's look in Acts chapter 8, and I want to look in verse 4. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Uh, the Bible uh, says there, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he, which he did. What kind of miracles and wonders? Well, Luke tells us, For unclean spirits, crying out with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in that city. If you ever wonder why that I'm pushing for revival and that I'm pushing for these things is because I know that once you get over the hump, that here's what Scripture says, there was great joy in that city. There can be great joy in this city. There can be great joy in this church. And I'm praying right now. I, I, I can't tell you the benefits when Brother... Uh, Keith Clark was here and 
Of course, he's passed away now, and, and that's all. Brother Clark was greatly used of God, and yet he had pancreatic cancer, and the Lord chose not to heal him. And he died relatively young. He was in his, in his late 60s, and that's getting young. <laughs> that getting young to some of y'all? Getting, just getting young to me, okay? But, but I, I just know this, that from about October 2005 until probably 2008 or so, that when Brother Clark would come through here, there was great joy in this church. At the same time, there were people that were afraid of Brother Clark, and they would not come to the Accent Weekends when Brother Clark was here because Brother Clark could ferret them out. He didn't do it in a gaudy, showy way. He'd just get in the altar and just start talking in people's ears. And then they'd talk to other folks, and they'd say, well, what did he say? And they said, well, he said such and so and this and that and the other. I'll never forget somebody that was here uh, invited somebody to church that they worked with. And uh, they were back praying about midway back on the left side. Brother Clark, y'all know how he would do. He'd come off the platform, and he got back there. He got in that, got, was praying for that woman, and he started talking in her ear. And she was in a very troubled marriage. And he started just laying out. He'd never laid eyes on that woman. Now, how did he know that? It was, just, it was the gifts of the Spirit that were in operation. And so that woman was flabbergasted in a good way, and she prayed very responsively. And, of course, Brother Patterson and I did go and uh, try to track that family down and, and to, to no avail. However, it was very obvious that the Lord worked. And that woman, if she's still alive, she, she hasn't forgotten that. There's no way you can push that kind of event uh, out of your mind. So, so that's the reason that, that Brother Patterson and, and, and I, that, that we push our church, that we want it to be a vibrant spiritual place. And again, I mentioned last night, I did brag on y'all. It was 52 people here Monday night for prayer. And last night, there was right at 40 people that were here for prayer. And then, of course, tonight, you see who's here. And uh, I, I just want to tell you this. We're bucking the trend. We're, we're, we're they're, they're, we, we are. We, we are, and we're going to, I'm going to do everything I can for us to keep bucking the trend. And, and so that's why we need to have a praying and a word church. Turn over to Acts chapter 9. And let's look at what the Bible says there, starting in verse 32. Acts chapter 9 and verse 32, the Bible says there, And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dealt, dwelt at, at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. Now, for our preachers, <laughs> I've heard some, the Lord, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, we're saved by the foolishness of preaching. He didn't say we're saved by foolish preaching. And so sometimes, I'm going to pick on us, Pentecostals are notorious for taking things and lifting it out of context, and this is one of those things that 33 that he was sick of the palsy. He's just so sick of the palsy. That's not what that verse is talking about. It said he was sick. He had been sick of palsy for, for eight years. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, 
Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed, and he arose immediately, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. That means she had been dead for a little while. She, she was not, you know, she hadn't swooned, as some people would say about the Lord. That's coming up toward Easter. They'll say, oh, well, the Lord didn't really die. He just swooned. Well, Dorcas... Uh, they had washed her, they had prepared her, laid her in an upper chamber, and for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. Look at verse 42. It was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in Peter. It doesn't say they believed in Peter. It says they believed in the Lord. And so I would just say right there, and we'll get into this as we progress on, the gifts of the Spirit are not to be showy, they're not to be gaudy, they're not to be ostentatious, they're not to point people toward us, they're to point them toward the Lord. So keep, keep, that, keep that in mind. Peter didn't raise up his bunch to start following him. Uh, they were following the Lord. Now, Turn over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, y'all okay? You okay reading the Bible? I know it's a lot of Bible, I know it's a lot of Scripture, but y'all okay with that? All right, Acts chapter 13, let's look in verse 1. The Bible says there, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, oh, there's a key. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. Okay? I want to, I want to, I want to, y'all remember last week, get off the couch. We got to get, I got to get off the couch. Okay? Someone encouraged us this year. We got, we, I want us to fast. And, and if you're new at it, skip breakfast and eat lunch and just kind of work up to that and, and you'll, you'll get your bearings, okay? Uh, but they ministered and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. 
They were commissioned. Now, we, we read last Wednesday night uh, where Paul was talking to Timothy, and he talked about how that hands were laid on Timothy. There was a transference of power that took place in that, and I believe that that same thing can take place now. Now, I, again, I'm not one that, you know, you get to a conference and you run off and you want such and so to pray for you, want Brother Smith to pray for you, or Brother Jones or whoever, okay? You, you do that if you so feel. Uh, but again, I do think that there is some power in a local church that when we lay hands on people and pray for them, that there's a commissioning and a process uh, that, that takes place in their lives. Now skip down to verse uh, 6. Now this is going to be a good one. And the Bible says, And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. And then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord? And now... Behold, the, land, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. That's a pretty profound story. That, that Paul could look at that understanding that Elymas was a sorcerer, a witch doctor, warlock, whatever you want to call him. And he smote him with blindness. Now, you still want, do you still want a church like the book Acts? You hear people say that all the time. Oh yeah, we want a, we want a first century church. Well, you remember about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5? They lied to the Holy Ghost and bang, they fell over dead in the church. Oh yeah, we, we want the miracle signs and wonders, but we don't want people dying in the church. We don't want sorcerers being smitten with blindness. But I would just say this, if something like that were to happen here, oh me, you talk about having an impact on this church. All of a sudden the fear of the Lord comes back again to the forefront. And sometimes you wonder how come the Lord does not do that in our day and I think it's because of the long suffering of the Lord. That the Lord is long suffering and merciful that he keeps reaching and reaching and reaching and yet we want the gifts of the Spirit to be in active operation. Turn over now to Acts chapter 14 and I want us to look in verse 8. The Bible says there, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. And then in the same 
heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up right on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Now the actual verse reference stops at verse 11, but I'm going to continue on because I want to make a point out of this. Look in verse 12. It says, And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven in fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. You get what's happening? They're wanting to direct their allegiance, their honor, so forth to these apostles. And these apostles are saying, no, don't do that. Don't worship us. Now, let me come around on the other side. Do I think there needs to be a respect for ministry and spiritual leadership in churches? Absolutely. I do believe that. And I know I grew up here. And I know Brother Patterson started the church. And the other day when Brother Tess and I were over working in the student building, the salt mine, I told him a little bit of the story about all this and that and the other, okay? But there does need to be respect for spiritual leaders and for elders in a local church. I, I do believe that. And I honor Brother Patterson and I honor the elders that are in this church, and there's a number of elders that I say are elders, and uh, most of them are in their 70s, some in their 80s, and I honor them. And I feel like that there ought to be that that's granted to that. However, they're not saints that we're going to model as the Catholic Church uh, sometimes promotes and so forth. Now, let's turn over to Acts chapter 21. And let's look in, chap, in verse 4 and verse 14. Acts chapter 21 and verse 4. And we'll read through verse 14. The Bible says there, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with our wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home. And when they had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, and saluted the brethren and abode with them there one day. And the next day, 
we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried and there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet Agabus. Now before I, I want to camp out on verse 9. These young women prophesied. Is there a role for women in ministry? Absolutely. But women are not pastors. And I will say that the older I get, the more concerned I get about women preachers. And I will say this, and this is for our local church, uh, that probably if your mama or grandmama was a preacher, then you have a tendency to look a little differently at what Paul had to say. But since my mother was not a preacher, and since my grandmother and granny were not preachers, then I'm going to look at what Paul had to say and say that women ought to keep silent in the church and they should not have authority over men. That's the apostolic pattern. Now you can get on YouTube and you can get on social media and you can see and do all that they're, they're saying and doing and etc. But I'm just telling you now, the spirit of feminization what you see going on in, in nationally, and I know this is shaky territory, okay? But look at our Congress, look at our Senate, and look at our governors, okay? Now, having said that, I will say this to our men. Men, we need to step up. Our women should not have to take spiritual leadership in our homes, Cough, cough, cough. But because there's a void and there's a vacuum, then the Lord is somehow or another having to navigate around whenever men ought to be stepping forward in places of spiritual leadership. And I'm going to be very strong on that. I'm going to be very strong in this local church. When I was younger... Women preachers didn't bother me. As I've gotten older, I'm like, women shouldn't be preaching to men because it flips God's divine order. And Paul, when Paul is making that point in the pastoral epistles, what does he do? He reaches all the way back to Adam and Eve. So if you know anything about the principle of or the law of first mention, then you have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve and say God established the order. But, but what, does the, what does the word say? It says it in Galatians that Eve was bewitched or beguiled by the serpent. So what happened? The devil knew he couldn't approach Adam. So he isolates Eve and he catches her off guard, and Eve is beguiled or bewitched, and she falls. And so when Adam comes along and begins to see what's taking place with Eve, this is what I feel. Adam was not deceived. The Bible tells us that. 
that Adam made a choice. And whenever he saw what had happened to his wife, then the Bible says he partook of the fruit also. So Adam knowingly goes into this situation. Now let me help you with your marriage. That there are times where that a husband may try to take a spiritual leadership role in his family and that wife tries to usurp his authority. Now how does she do that? By nagging and whining and yapping until he finally is like, I'm tired of this, and he gives in and acquiesces to that. And what happens is, is the role gets flipped. And so the woman takes the role of spiritual leadership in the home. So men, how should we, how should, what should our marriages look like? Ephesians 5. And what does it say there? It says that we ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. And so what happens sometimes is because men don't love Christ and do not give themselves to Christ, then the devil moves in and flips the role of what's taking place there. And whenever that takes place, then everything gets out of balance. That's where our society is at now. Now, I know that's tough. I know that's not popular preaching. I know that's not popular teaching. Even among apostolics. Even among <laughs> fire-breathing, fire-on-the-mountain, Holy Ghost-filled, sanctified, fire-baptized, Etc. I know. Well, you know, the Lord is going to... See here, he, he used these, these daughters to prophesy. But they were not pastors. And so we have to... Boy, we we're supposed to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And we chased a rabbit. Okay, look at verse 11. The Bible says, and here's another rabbit... And the Bible says, And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle or his belt. Who, who did that? Verse 10, from Judea, a certain prophet named Agabus. That means he was somewhere from the Jerusalem area. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this belt and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when, they, and when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now I will tell you this, okay? There are volumes of pages that are written in commentaries that they say that Paul missed the will of God whenever he did not listen to the voice of this prophet. Now, I want to, and we'll get into some more of this whenever we dig into the gifts of the Spirit. Our prophets these days, nobody is afraid of them. They're just not. You know why? 
is because our, our prophets are always blessing and there's going to be a chicken in every pot and there's going to be a Cadillac in everybody's garage and you're going to have a big old house and it's going to be blessing and et cetera and so forth. So nobody's afraid of our prophets. And we had a whole bunch of our prophets prophesying that Trump was going to be in the White House. And they're out there on YouTube. And so what should we do with them? Well, Deuteronomy speaks to that. <laughs> it's take them out in the parking lot and stone them. And though obviously we can't do that, but what we ought to do is minimize their influence. But because there's very little church discipline that goes on. Y'all, we don't even know what church discipline is. If we were truly a real apostolic church, church discipline is one of the things that you would practice in local church. People, oh man, well I can't go to a church that practices church discipline or I don't want to listen to a prophet and yet here's what he does. Now it's a living object lesson. He gets Paul's belt he binds his hands. He says, the owner of this belt, if he, go, if, he, if he leaves here, then the Holy Ghost is saying the Jews at Jerusalem are going to bind this man and they're going to deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Who is that? That's Rome. They're going to send him to Rome. And that's where Paul met his death. And again, you know, Paul obviously was, was, I mean, he was bent. There's that part where that he says, I'm, I must needs go to Rome. I'm, I'm going to Rome regardless. And yet you wonder, okay, what if Paul would have submitted to this prophet, which I believe he should, I believe he should have. I believe he should have listened to Agabus. And yet God used Paul's stubbornness and bullheadedness and etc and he still accomplished his purpose but you wonder in the back of your mind this is where you start meditating on scripture you start thinking through okay what how would Paul's life and ministry have turned out if he would have been willing to submit to the prophetic and we don't know the answer uh, to that question. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. I said, Okay, Paul, if you're, you're intent on this, we know that the outcome is not going to go well but so be it, we're going to allow you to go. They obviously couldn't kidnap him. And there have been times where I know that personally Brother Patterson has dealt with situations here and he's done his best to try to talk people out of, of, of whatever and they went ahead and did it anyway and the next thing you know it's like, oh my Lord, what in the world? And it's like, okay, now that we're here we'll just have to navigate this through the best way we can. Now Brother Patterson calls it outrunning your headlights and, and he's told me that a number of times over the years so and so's outrunning their headlights and then six months later 
bang. It's like, well, Brother Patterson, you're a prophet. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and get out of that rabbit patch. Okay, let's turn to Acts chapter 28. Boy, that clock is going by so fast. Acts chapter 28, and some of y'all say, thank God the clock is going fast. Acts chapter 28, let's look in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast, man, can you imagine that, hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. Was he a murderer? Yeah, he was. You remember Acts 9? He, he murdered people. And they said, this man is a murderer whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. But here's the grace of God in action. He shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, he's a god. And in the same quarter were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius who received us and lodged us three days courteously. It came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. And so when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. I remember Brother uh, McLean, not Brother Wang McLean, but Brother Gerald McLean, missionary to Nigeria. He's retired now. And a few years ago, whenever I went over to uh, get involved in one of the GATS uh, training seminars there in, in Accra in Ghana, uh, he told me a story. He said that, that they called him out into uh, a place out somewhere in Nigeria and there was like a leader of the village and he said that the guy was dying and he said what they would do this guy had this huge he said it was just a putrefying wound uh, in his abdomen and what they did was they took dirt and they, they forced it into that, into that wound and I mean y'all you medical folks here you know that is not that is not good and he said that he walked in that room and he said that, that it literally, that you could smell. And some of y'all have been around the cubitus ulcers, you know they don't, do not smell good. And he said he walked in that place and, and he is just like, Lord, what in the world? And so he said that what he did was he got over there and he got a, like a, there was a, a he said it, the, it was a washcloth, he said, but it was filthy. And he said that what I did, he said, was I wiped away the best I could, the dirt out of that. And then he said he, he put a cloth over it. There was another cloth. He said it was filthy as well. He laid his hands over it, and he, he prayed for that man. And then he told him, he said, don't, don't put any more dirt on that wound. 
And the next morning, the man was up and the Lord had healed that man. At the same time, he told me that they have cobras over there. And, and sometimes those cobras get up into their Bible school. I got, man, I'd be terrified. And uh, he said that those things can be six, eight feet long. He said they're up. He said they'll start doing all that kind of stuff and waving around. And, and uh, that's whenever you figure out you're not a snake handler. And, uh, and he said, but, but he said over the years, he said there were people in Nigeria that they, were, that they would be bit by cobras. And he said they would pray for them. And he said they'd die. And, and he said, I can't, he said, I, he said, I have no, I have no one. He said, the Lord heals whom he will. Amen. That's right. And you would think that a snake bite would be easier to heal <laughs> than, this, than this guy with this abscessed wound. And yet the Lord was able to heal. I heard Brother McLean told me that um, whenever we were, we were in Ghana, and he, he invited me, wanted to know if I wanted to come back to Nigeria and and teach a week in their Bible school. The story about the cobras got me all nervous, and I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you what, Brother McLean, I'll, 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 I'll think about that, and maybe. Uh, but, but again, you, I think you can see where we're going. Let, let me read. I got three more verses. Y'all okay? I'm going over time. Uh, let's turn. Let's turn over to First Corinthians chapter two and verse four, and uh, then I will. I'll conclude, and I'll, I'll try not to comment on these verses. I'll just read them, and you can. And we'll just let them stay for what they are. Okay, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. The Bible says there, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians 12, and let's look at verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says there, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And then let's go back a couple of pages and let's look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 19. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19. The Bible says there through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. How did he do it? Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, Start next week and talk a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit. But, but again, I, I, I think sometimes that because we live in Western culture and we're in here and this, thank God, it's air-conditioned and we're in padded chairs and, and so forth, I think sometimes that causes our faith to not be as active perhaps as some of these places that, that are in third world countries. I thank God for the advances and yet at the same time I, I want to stretch myself and that whatever the Lord wants me to be involved in 
And I did mention last night, if you were not here, and forgive me for going over time, give me two minutes. I, I, I failed Saturday. I, I want to be different. I'm making that just kind of pledge. I did this years ago. Brother Blackman was still coming to church here. Um, and it's been probably 20 years ago or more. Just the first year, I just made up my mind. I'm going to be different. And oddly enough, one of the books that kind of bumped me in that direction was Elmer Towns' book called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. If you don't have that book, you need to get it. It's an excellent book, and it gives you a purpose for your fasting. And so I was reading that book, and I just made up in my mind, I'm going to be different. And so Saturday, I was at Panera, and I was hiding out in the corner, and I was studying. And I looked over, and there was a family that was over, and they were kind of lower socioeconomic, and I'm not saying that in a bad, I'm just, that's just the observation. And there was a, they had a baby, and uh, the grandmother was talking to her daughter, granddad was there as well, I'm assuming. And uh, I could hear them talking about that baby and, and, and checking its temperature and, and so forth. And uh, so I, uh, the, the Lord just impressed on me. Says, says, go over there and ask them if you can pray for that baby. In, in Panera? All these people standing around? Those are the things that are going through your mind. Not, not quite like that, but you, you get what I'm saying. And I did not go over there and pray for that, for, that, for that baby. And I just was so convicted by the Spirit. And then they left. And that chance is gone. And the Lord kind of, <laughs> he kind of got me pretty good. And so Sunday morning, whenever I did what I did here Sunday morning, it's because some of that was in the back of my mind. And you know what? We could have just shut it down after we prayed for Sister Wendy and we could have got back into our normal flow. But if we're going to be different and if we're going to be led by the Spirit, then that means, did you see what Peter and John did? The Bible says they reached down and they they picked him up. I'm sure that as Peter was picking him up, he didn't know what was going to happen. And yet the Lord healed that crippled man. And I want to be sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost. And I want you to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I don't want just this just for me. But I want it for you as well. That the Lord is going to be able to help us to do His will. Amen. Apologize. I'm over five minutes. Let's stand. And let's thank the Lord for His Word. Lord, I am thankful, God, for Your Word. I'm thankful, Lord, for the prayer time. I pray, God, tonight that, Lord, that all of our men that are going to the men's conference, I pray, God, that, Lord, I know there's going to be inspiration and anointing and strength, God, that we gain from, Lord, being at that conference. But I pray tonight that God, that you would help us that are going, that we would somehow, that we would be an encouragement to those men that are going there. We don't, Lord, have any idea what some of them are facing or contending with, but I pray, God, that you would help us to be a blessing and help us, God, to serve you diligently. And I pray, God, again, help us, Lord, to be different and help us to be sensitive to your spirit so that in the coming days, that, Lord, that we would be able Lord, to see opportunities. And sometimes, Lord, they're going to be inconvenient opportunities. But help us, Lord, to be able to flow with the Spirit so that we will be true disciples 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. And uh, thank you for coming to Wednesday Night Bible Study.